uh, you were not able to be here for Sunday school or missed it, the uh, slide presentation concerning the congregational vote on May the 3rd and the potential move of the Stonewall property, uh, that presentation is online right now. Don't, don't, don't look at it during the service. Um, but it's, it's out there for you to go home and peruse at your leisure. Um, and the uh, video of the actual presentation, the, the talking and uh, that kind of thing, will be up by the end of the week. So Thursday or Friday, you'll be able to watch the presentation itself. Um, and don't forget, uh, April 21st, we'll be back here. We have been uh, walking through First Peter, and we have seen that Peter has, um, in the last few, the few of my last sermons, uh, excepting Easter, had been talking about the new heart that God gives us. And we are talking about being the new temple in God's word work in, in uh, the New Testament building of the temple in his church, and then we talked about being the new Israel and how Peter plunders the Old Testament for all those great uh, names and promises and words of, of uh, titles of belonging to God, that we are his chosen people and a holy nation and a people for his own and special possession. And we talked about that uh, two weeks ago last time as we were talking in Peter. And, and all of those things now, he moves in and says, as we are those things, as we are, have been born again and given a new heart, as we have become uh, the new temple that are being built together as living stones into this, this new structure for God's presence and worship, and as we are his, his people, his holy people called and um, his own possession, that we were not a people, now we are, and we did not have mercy, but now we do. And he says, all of this changes our relationship to the world that we live in, to belong to him changes the relationship we have to everything else. And that's where we walk this morning. There's this, this sense that Peter wants to give us of just, we're just passing through. We belong to another kingdom, to another king, and to another Lord, and to another future, a destiny that changes everything. And so we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Hear then the word of God. Peter writes and he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which are waging war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people to give you our hearts in worship and to bow them before your word that we might hear you speak into our lives. And so, Father, we would have ears to hear and eyes to see, and we would plead for you to speak to us in ways that capture our hearts and our imaginations and cause us to be different, to live like your free people on the earth. In Jesus' name we ask and pray.
Imagine that you have been appointed as ambassador. And it could happen. As ambassador to Saudi Arabia. The president has come to you. I need your help. I want you to be the ambassador. I want you to commit. I want you to go for five years. I want you to go live in Saudi Arabia. It's an Islamic state. It's a Muslim country in the Middle East. It's, it's got different laws and different form of government. It's got different customs. It's got different people. It's got different everything. But I want you to go live there for five years. Now, say you go. You pack up and you go. And now you are in Saudi Arabia. How do you live there? You, do you buy or do you rent? It's likely you'll rent. Maybe you'll buy. But if you do buy and you know you're going to sell it, I doubt you're going to you pour your life savings in it like you're going to retire there. You're not going to pour your in, life savings into reno. You're going to make it comfortable, but you're not going to go overboard. Right? And as you live in that culture, you need to, you, you remember and you understand you're just passing through. Five years' time, my, my time is up and I'm going home. I actually have a home somewhere else. I have family and friends somewhere else. I got roots and ties somewhere else. And my, my hope and my future is somewhere else. How would you relate to the people who are there? How would you, to, 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 to the uh, Saudis and their culture and their garb and their customs, how would you relate to the government and the laws while you're there? You'd probably be very careful. I don't, I don't want to be in a Saudi jail. I don't know about you. Right? I, don't, I don't want to have them take my passport and my stuff so I can't leave. I don't want them, so I'm going to live carefully. <laughs> you, know? you know, I actually lived this way a little bit. My wife and I went, I went to seminary in uh, Canada. Well, it's not quite Saudi Arabia, but it's, um, <laughs> there is a sovereign border that stands between, and, uh, and I had to show a passport to cross it. And to live there, and I knew I was only there for three years. I was doing four years of seminary and three years, and at the end of that, I was hoping that I would come back, you know. And so I knew we rented a place. It was a saga in itself, and you know. But we lived there. I mean, I do remember there's a very distinct way that you live somewhere. When you know, in a number of years, I'm, I'm leaving here. This is not my home, and these are not my people, in one sense. And 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 I was renting a place, and you know we. Ours, our deck decor at that time was early garage sale. You know, it was, we, we, you know, we had to have furniture, but I almost sell it and leave. You know, this is not my home. You know, I lived like a resident alien, which is what I was. I was a citizen of another, citizen of another country to which I hoped to return. And so I lived there. We lived there in a certain way. You know, Peter calls them for the third time in verse 11. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles, right, as these kind of people, sojourning people. You know, we talked about the word exile. It's not the first time that he used this because he wants this to be understood uh, as our whole identity. And we talked in verse 1 when he touched on this. He opens the entire letter with this idea. Verse 1, Peter, I'm an apostle of Jesus, and who are you to you who are elect exiles? We talked about that word exile. Exile is not the best word unless it's like a, it's better as a pilgrim or a resident alien. You know, it's not like we're banished, you know, from heaven or, or kingdom, you know, but, but rather that we are resident aliens. We are foreigners living in a foreign land. We are citizens of another kingdom. 
and we are here. And Peter, as he writes to them, and he says, as, as he writes to them, this is, the, this is the context of the whole letter. First thing out of his mouth, elect, chosen, the chosen people of God who therefore are pilgrims in a strange or a foreign land. Scattered representatives of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this is fundamental to the identity. I believe it governs the whole book. He comes out of the gate saying it. We saw it again in verse 17 of chapter 1 where he says, and if you call on him as father, if you are his children, if that is who you are, this father who judges impartially to each one's deeds before whom we will all stand one day, if this is who you believe in and who you love and call upon, then conduct yourselves in a certain way here. When we talked about what it means to live in fear, you can go back and look at that. You know, to conduct yourself in a certain way while you are here throughout your time of exile. Right? You live a certain way when you're those kind of people. And your hopes and your dreams and your roots and your future is somewhere else. So he calls them again to live. And then as he speaks to the way that you live here, as you are his chosen people, his new temple, and as the, the new Israel, and you belong to him as a special possession, he says, as those people, sojourners and exiles, you are to live like this life isn't everything. And that's really what underplays all that he says Well, throughout the whole Bible, <laughs> from Genesis to Revelation. But, but it's that thing, is to live as if this life is not everything. Don't pour it all in here. Right? In fact, Jesus talks about using the things of this world. You know, you're in Saudi Arabia, and, and what if your kingdom, what if, what if they told you, you know what, we want to build relationship with the Saudis. We want to win their hearts and their minds, maybe to, to our way of thinking. You know, so we want to win them. And so here's what we're going to do. American government says to you, you know what? Any money that you give away there, any money that you bless with there, any money that you pour out on behalf of service to the kingdom of the United States and that kind of thing, you know what? When you get home, it'll be in a bank account waiting for you here. And then some. Isn't that what Jesus says? He says, don't save up for yourself treasures on heaven, stored up on earth. Don't store for yourself treasures here, but, but in heaven. And then he tells a parable about using the stuff of the earth to win friends and influence you know, to build a bank account. And he says, so were you there in Saudi? All the money that you, you pour out, all the time and effort that you give away on behalf of, the, of, the, of your kingdom here, your homeland, when you come home, Jesus at one point says it'll be a hundredfold. Right? It will be given back to you a hundredfold, he says, more than once. He says, I will, I will bless you. So we, we, we live as this life isn't everything. It's another theme from the Old Testament that flows in. The patriarchs lived as sojourners and pilgrims waiting for the promised land. Hebrews 11.13 is there in your bulletin. Under the first point, the writer of Hebrews talking about Abraham and Sarah, and it says, these all died in faith, not having received fully the things that have been promised. And we've been talking a little bit just now about the things that have been promised. And we don't fully realize them in this life. And he says, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, living by faith, living as if this life is not the only one, living as if there is more and bigger and better and, and more real and more important and more eternal and more permanent. He says, living and greeting those things from afar, having acknowledged that they were then strangers and exiles here on the earth. And then they, and they lived that way. 
like Abraham and Sarah, God's children are called and chosen. And so we sojourn in this life waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. For the day when Jesus, who said, I go before you, right? And if I didn't, I go before you and I will make a place for you and I will come back and get you. And so Philippians 3.30 there in your bulletin, it says our citizenship, brothers and sisters, your first loyalty is in heaven. You know, that stands for kingdom of Christ and for an eternal life that in time and quality exceeds anything that we could possibly understand in this life. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We live like waiting people, waiting to go home. And so we live a certain way, right? We live a certain way while we're here, scattered citizens of another kingdom, praying for that kingdom to come and for our our Lord's will to be done, even now, in us and in our lives. And in the meantime, in this already, but not yet, this already where the king has come and he has claimed our loyalty and his kingdom is coming in my heart and in my life as I've pledged my allegiance and loyalty to him in the already of the coming of the king, but the not yet when the king is yet returning and the knowledge of him will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and his kingdom will be established in all power and authority and its completeness consummated in the already, but the not yet. We live like ambassadors of that kingdom we were in Saudi Arabia or something. It affects how we live and how we spend and how we relate to the people of the land and how we relate to the laws and the government, the understanding that this is, this is not our government. And as you know, even in what, what I believe is the, I'm a blue, red-blooded American, I, you know, I, what I believe is the best country on the face of the earth. And yet the problems that we have with our government and our leadership and even with our police force, if you're watching the news and the way things go, it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's, it's not perfect and it is broken. But it affects how we relate. And the enemy's mission, see, the enemy wants to conform you to this kingdom to this time and to this world. It wants to sever that faith and imagination and, and understanding of, of anything else. The enemy wants to conform you, to assimilate you. And most of you who know me well enough by now know that I'm a little bit of a sci-fi fantasy geek. And, you know, in Star Trek, there are these people, this, this race, and their, their, their goal is to encounter other races and to assimilate them. And so they would keep encountering, and when they, when they would encounter you, what their message would be is simply this, you will be assimilated. Resistance is futile, right? That's their message. You, you'll be part of their collective. They have this collective, and they will suck you in. That is, that is the enemy of this world, I believe. I mean, I believe this is the message of the world. Isn't it the message of the powers that are around us? And it says, wait, you think differently on this matter? You have a different moral value than us? No, no, you will be assimilated. Isn't that the message that we're hearing these days? You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. We will marginalize you. We will talk you down and talk you out. We will make you look foolish. We will be hateful in return. We will strip you of your businesses and your right to live. It's the world. You will be assimilated. But conformity and assimilation for an ambassador, my friends, is treason. We're here to represent the values and the interests of our homeland. And resistance is not futile. It is our job. It is our calling. It is who we are. 
we speak for our king and our sovereign. And so Romans 12, 2, as he reaches the end of the fullness of the truth, what God has done, and he says, and so do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. Don't let them push you into their mold. Don't let them dominate your thinking. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind by faith and by feeding ourselves and our faith on God's word and the truth that is eternal. We abide as scattered citizens of another kingdom, foreigners with a mission, ambassadors for Jesus, and our job is to be steeped in the interests of our king and to remain fiercely loyal to him and his kingdom and its coming and to remain unassimilated, to abstain, as he says, you are sojourners and exiles, and as these people abstain from the passions of the flesh that are waging war against your soul. And so to remain unassimilated, I believe what he says here is, I know it's a high calling to be the ambassador in this way. And he says, and I understand, here's the thing, it's not an easy job. Because when you get the job of sojourner, resident alien, ambassador of Christ, he says, you enter into a warfare, a spiritual warfare. And that's what he says. It's, it's coming for your soul, so to speak. Right? The desires of the world wage war on our souls. Our, our souls come under attack. I see, I feel it every day. From whether I'm watching TV or the news or this way and that way, the lure, <laughs> the, the assault on who I am in Christ, that as I want to be holy and pure and right and just and to know him and to love him and to serve him only and the lure and the, the war against my soul to siphon it away. The more we live for what this world has to offer, the more useless we become to that kingdom. Jesus says, if the salt loses its saltiness, right? And that's what it means. The more we live for this world and not that world, the salt loses a certain amount of its saltiness. And to that degree that we live for for this life rather than that one and for the things of this world, and, and the deeper our roots go down here, the shallower our roots are there, and the shallower they are there, the our usefulness diminishes at best. See, passions, as he says, you know, that... That beloved, I urge you as sojourners to abstain from these passions. The word that's translated passion there or elsewhere is translated lusts. It's the same word, the same Greek word. It's simply a strong desire, a craving. We all know what those are. We experience them every day. Many of us, when we think of lust, we think of sexual sin. We think of, of, of that, But and it is that, don't mind me, but that's just one craving, one strong desire. The Bible uses it much more broadly. We can lust for power. We can lust to be liked. We can lust to be cool. We can lust to be, like, we have this strong craving. I want to be liked, or I want to be this, or I need these, you know, the things that we crave and that we long for and that we go after. If we're not careful, any of those things can become our master and actually drive us more than our king kinds of desires that deaden our souls, that rob us for the passion for the kingdom of God, for the things of God, that undermine our loyalty 
See, and that's the danger. They wage war. These passions of the flesh, these desires, um, that, 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 that's the danger of them, is, it, is, is that as those win, then our passion for Christ must diminish. And the more we are given to the passions um, for things and the desire for things in this life and in this world, the, our passion for Christ and His coming kingdom must diminish. And that's how it wars against our soul. It separates us from that which should reign supreme in the center of our beings. It undermines our loyalty. It conforms us not to Christ, but to the world. It assimilates us, and we begin to lose our identity as holy and chosen. The whole issue at stake really is a materialism. And I know that we we speak of materialism, again, in a very narrow sense as often or not. We think of materialism as an overindulgence in possessions, right? To be materialistic. You know, to overindulge in certain possessions or to care too much about things. You know, they're so materialistic. They care so much about things. But here's the thing. It is, it is broader than that. To be materialistic in that way is just one symptom of a broader problem, which is simply this. Living like the material world is more real than the spiritual world. And more of us are guilty of that than of a gross over-care and concern for for possessions, right? But materialism really is living as if this world, the material world, this life and its stuff and everything else is more real than the spiritual world. And then it has to do with all the decisions that come out of it. And one of them will be our possessions and how we relate to the stuff of this world. But it really is simply this, having stronger desires and passions for anything that has to do with this life and this world more than for the things in the kingdom of God. Those passions hijack the desires and the loyalties that belong to Jesus. And it's a battle that we fight every day. And that's why he says, as we enter that again, as sojourners, and he wants us, you know, he, he tries to give us an identity, you know. And as, as these folks who are resident aliens of another kingdom, fight this battle for your souls, you know, for your passion. You know, for your passion. Your passion belongs to Jesus. In his kingdom. First John 2.15 is there in your bulletin under the second point. That's why John writes and he says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Right? Love is a passion. It's one of our strong desires. It's a governing desire. We do what we love. Right? If I love vanilla ice cream and I get up in the front of the line, I'm going to order vanilla ice cream. Not strawberry, not chocolate. Vanilla, because I love vanilla ice cream. You know, the things that we love dictate our choices, right? If I love my wife and the choices that come from that, you know, if I love what we love, that's where we, our choices go. And so John says, you know, the, the, we all have these passions, you know, the, of, the, of, the, of the body of ourselves that are, are driving inner, you know what it is, the things that you want. And that drive you. And he says, don't love the world. Don't give your love to the world or anything that is in the world. Because if you do that, what happens? What happens? You've siphoned off your love and your passion. So he says, if anyone loves the world, if your love and your passion is going that way, and that's what is important to you, he says, the love of the Father has been hijacked, siphoned off, given to another. So the Bible, from beginning to end, has talked about that process as an adultery. Because our love belongs to Him. 
and we have given our love to another. The fiercest loyalty and the strongest love belong to King Jesus. He is, there can only be one. There can only be one. One master loyalty. One master passion. One master love, as the Bible likes to put it. And so love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, because there can only be one master love. can't serve Saudi Arabia and the United States' interests. And as soon as I start compromising the Saudis' interests, I cease to represent. Right? I cannot serve both the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of this world. And as soon as I start to serve the interests of the kingdom of this world, in, in some sense I begin to betray the interests of the kingdom of God. I cannot serve both God and money, as Jesus says. And money, as you know, mammon is more than money. It's, it's, it's wealth or it's stuff. It's, it's the th- It's that which this world values. You cannot serve God and that which this world values, which are at dire opposing. You wouldn't pour out your money to send a team to Uganda. If if your passion isn't for the kingdom, right, that it requires a different loyalty, different priorities, different value system. That's why Matthew 6 there in your bulletin, he says, Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He goes on, you know, where moths destroy, thieves steal. You know, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Have your passion there. Because passions for the things of this world will wage war against, will poison your passion for the kingdom. So 2 Corinthians 4.18, the next verse in your bulletin, he says, so we don't look to the things that are seen, right? To the things of this world, to the things that I can buy, to the things that I can, you know, I don't, I don't look to the things that are material because I believe in an immaterial world, right? I don't give the same importance, the same value, the same reality even to the things that are seen as I do to the unseen things. He says, you know, spiritual things, unseen things are more real than things that are seen. They're more important than the things that are seen. They're more valuable than the things that are seen. It's so hard for us. That's why I think we're all materialists, because we have such a hard time believing that the kingdom of Christ and the coming kingdom and the things of God and those things which are not seen are more real, more powerful, more important, more valuable, more worthy of our trust and our loyalty and our passion and our investment than anything that we can see. And yet that's what the Bible says. That's why we fight the good fight of faith. things that are unseen, the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen, he says, are eternal. And so our king declares resistance is not futile. It is absolutely vital to the mission in order to fight the fight of faith, to live by faith, not by what is seen, not by sight, to live by faith to what we cannot see. And he goes on to say, also vital to the mission then, as we have this whole perspective of who we are as as resident aliens and scattered representatives of another kingdom who are trying to abstain from and to keep our passions and our loyalties fixed where they belong in the King Jesus and his coming kingdom so that we can be faithful there. And he says now it also is vital then how we relate to, to everything else, to, to the people, to the government, and, and, and everything else that we have to live under in the time of our exile while we await the coming one. And so he goes on saying how we relate to everything else, right? In verse 12, he says, keep your conduct 
among the Gentiles while you're here in this time of your exile honorable so that if they should speak against you as evildoers, they would see your good deeds. They would be proven slanderers and liars because your deeds are good. You are living for Christ. And, and they would be forced to glorify God on the day that he visits when all things are brought to light and, and it's all peeled back. Whatever they said about evil from you, the day will show it. You are doing what is right and good and true and beautiful and honorable in the eyes of the God who made all things. And so this whole keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. The NIV translated, live such good lives that they would be proven false. But that good, that honorable, live honorable life, live a good life, that the, the Greek um, agathos, it could be translated not just good, but it can be translated the good life is the beautiful life. It's the it's the attractive life. Live such good lives. Such, There's a beauty and a symmetry to the morality and the rightness, the fairness and the justice, the character of, of joy and peace and patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the faithfulness and the self-control. There's a beauty. There's a beauty to it that's attractive to the world. Live such good lives. Such beautiful lives attractive lives so that the person in the cube next to you so that the neighbor who lives on the other side of you so that the student who sits in the row in front of you or behind you or next to you so your business partner and the other moms and the other classmates do they see do they catch the savor of Christ right because 2 Corinthians 2.15 there in your bulletin under the third point do they catch the savor of Christ? Paul says, we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved as well as among those who are perishing. It is the aroma of Christ who brings some into the fold that they are attracted and they come and put their faith in Christ too, but it's so attractive, in other words, so faithful to Christ that the world will reject it. And Jesus said, they, they hated me first. Don't be surprised if they hate you too. So there is this that smell that attracts some, and that's what we talk about, the stone that makes men. He is a rock of stumbling, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, and there will be those who come to Christ and are stumbled into humility and faith, and others who come and stumble against Him and rebel. Submission, then, in verse 13. For the Lord's sake to every human institution. Every human institution, the word actually, and it's interesting as they translate it, actually the, the word that's translated human institution, the word is creation or creature instead of institution. Every human creation, whatever, whatever you are find yourself in, in, in your situation, every creature, every situation, it's an interesting thing to be called by God to be in submission to every human creature. What does that mean in some regard? And we'll look at verse 17. He starts out verse 17 saying, honor everyone. Right? And then he gives you a list from loving the brothers, the, you know, the church, your brothers in Christ, fear the Lord, honor the emperor. And he goes on in, in the whole next section, which we'll get into in weeks ahead, about in your, in your business relationships, in your marriages, and in, in the community. And he goes on to talk. And, but, but he starts out with this, be in submission to every creature. Honor everyone. a high calling. 
very broad. It's, it really is a posture. It's a way of being in the world. If you think about it that way. Because we need to hear Jesus like this. Doesn't he say things like this when he shows up on the scene? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life away. It's a way of being in the world. It's the way he interacted with every human being and every institution and everything that he bumped into. It wasn't, the, you know, it wasn't a little thing over here. It was a way of being in the world. I'm here not to be served but to serve and to give myself away. And he said the greatest among you, I know you're thinking about power and all this and the world lords it over, but the greatest among you would be the servant of all. It's a way of seeking greatness in the world. It's a way of being in the world. It's a way of being his people. Peter, I know, remembers how the Lord got on his hands and knees and washed his feet. It was a way of being in the world. It's a way of wielding even his power. That he would honor everyone. He treated even sinners that were around him with respect. So much so that they were attracted to him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to eat with him. They wanted to listen to him. And they wanted to hear what he had to say. Because he honored everyone. And he was a servant of all. And even listen to them. And so Philippians 2 talks about, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Looking not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. And he starts with the government, and he goes down. And let me just, you know, say there, in the role of the government, there's a whole nother sermon to be done right there, you know, as we relate to the government that's around us. He actually, it's just a side note here. He says, honor everybody, you know, fear God, you know, serve and submit in some ways to everyone. Start with, he says, the emperor. He doesn't go into any detail about it. You know who the emperor was? See, some of you might say, I mean, well, surely you don't mean Obama. Or, or surely you don't mean, I know some of you are in that camp. There are others of you who would be more like, surely you don't mean like Bush, you know, the old one or Jeb coming up or, you know, that. Surely you don't mean, do you know who the emperor in Rome was at this time? It's the emperor that kills Paul. The emperor that kills Peter. The emperor that uses Christians as torches in his garden when he has a party. It's Nero. And he hasn't gone that far yet. And so I think that there's a, there's a whole sermon to be had there. But Nero wasn't a great guy before that. And the Roman government, and again, here's what you'd have to say. If you think about the Roman government, the way that they did things and executed people and whatever, they were the best government at the time. They were. Think about it. They, they, that's another sermon for another time. But let's just go this. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And be a good citizen and be in submission to the governments of this world in order to have a good. The Christians in that day had, a, had the reputation of being subversive and anti-government and, and sowing the seeds of dissension. And he says, don't let it be so. If they were to slander you, let it be shown that you were the best citizen this country had. just conclude with the thought that he says to the church, verse 16, live as people who are free. Right, free, but not using your freedom to cover up evil. Use, you live as free people of God, right, serve God. And he doesn't see any, in the same breath, he doesn't see any contradiction between living as free people and living as servants of God. And that's what it means to be free to be free from the power and dominion of sin, to be free from the power and dominion of this world, to be free from the power and dominion of Satan. But here's the thing, to be free from all of those things, there's no such thing as a free agent. 
You are either under the power of those or you are under the power of God. And the, and, and the Bible does not contemplate free agents. And to be free from all of those things, in Romans 6, Paul says, you know, talks about being free from being a slave to sin and becoming slaves or servants of God, to do what is right, to serve our King and our Savior. It's only as we are free from the passion and stuff of this world, abstaining and being free, free from sin, free from the guilt, free from the judgment, free from the fear of hell, that we are set free to live for His kingdom, which makes us freer than anyone else here, to be generous, to be kind, and to give and to pour ourselves out, to do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you would be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. My friends, there is a way of being in the world that brings glory to God makes us useful for the master and his mission and his kingdom and saves our souls. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come this morning to your word and we, we confess how materialism fogs our senses and that sometimes this world seems more real than your promises, more real than your kingdom. And we wrestle, we wrestle the war that is in our hearts to give ourselves to you and to to protect our hearts and our passion, to protect our hearts, the wellspring of life, that we might be useful to you and to your kingdom. Would you come near this morning and write upon our hearts what it means to be ambassadors for Christ in a foreign land, but loyal, fiercely loyal, trustworthy as we resent, represent you here. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name.